Well, welcome everyone. Darren Saul here, your host of Playing With Perspective, the suspended animation podcast. I hope everybody's doing fantastically well after the weekend. It's episode 156 and I have a very, very special guest. Helene Grover is in the house. How are you, Helene? I'm fine, Darren. All the better for seeing you. Ah, too kind, too kind. But uh, thank you so much. Today we're going to be chatting about Helene's new book, amongst other things. The name of her book is called Sometimes the Music. And it's basically a life story of her and her ex-partner, Serge. Late partner, actually. Late partner, exactly. (laughs) But before we jump in, I'm going to give everybody a little bit of an intro into who Helene is. Some people plan their life. Helene fell into her action-packed one. At 16, Helene Grover wrote a number one hit, Barefoot Boy. She's one of the pioneers of Australian rock and roll music with over 40 years in the entertainment industry as a songwriter, actor and theatrical agent. In the 80s, she met Enfant Terrible of jazz Serge Emol, resulting in a 26-year relationship where she managed his career produced several albums, booked many performances, including the Sydney support band for the Dizzy Gillespie tour, Serge grappled with a lifetime of addictions, ultimately developing her innovative concept of laughter therapy in Australia, Helene conducted seminars and conferences through Australia and Southeast Asia, she wrote her first book Laugh Aerobics, also published in Japanese. She's appeared in television programs, radio interviews, and print media. Her new book, Sometimes the Music, presents the fascinating lives of these two dynamic individuals, children of immigrants, not just from opposite sides of the planet, but also the music environments they each dominated, rock and roll and jazz. This autobiography is a poignant, funny, adventurous one with an honest vulnerability. So welcome, Helene. Well, do you know, after that, I can hardly wait to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> I can't wait either. <laughs> so, my God, what? where did you have time for all this? My God, you've done a lot. I wonder about that. In fact, I was rereading my book yesterday, just proofreading what the end result is, and I thought, was that me? Who did this? You know, so there you go. It's just... Uh, unbelievable and mind you i've lived a lot of years (laughs) you've done extremely well and you've your accomplishments speak for themselves but were you when you started at any point in your career did you have a particular plan or did you just kind of go with the flow no it's like you said in the beginning i never planned anything i just sort of just let it all roll well whatever happened if it cropped up i did it you know and um you know, something came up at me, I did it. You know, it's like, um, and I wrote about, a lot about that in the book. Yep. You know, even songwriting, I wrote Barefoot Boy when I was 16. Wow. And I just sat on top of a ladder and just started scribbling. And a friend of mine dragged me off to some talent quest and we won it. And I got dragged off to Festival Records and they recorded it. And, you know, it just... Unbelievable. Happened, you know, and... um and the same with the laughter work. I just got an idea and I just went with the flow, you know. And uh, and the same with Surge and the music. Yep. You know, um, an opportunity presented it or I chased it. 
I didn't realise until reading the book, actually. I'm, I was trying to read the book as if I'm another person. Yeah. You know, as if it's somebody who doesn't know who the heck I am. Yeah. And I thought, how on earth did she do this, you know? Or was she really that stupid? She kept repeating this, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, and then I'm thinking, for goodness sake, I think it was sheer recklessness. Yeah. Time, you know but i'd also maybe i'd say maybe it's just you are what you are a person that is very self-aware and you just go with your gut you don't overthink <laughs> do you overthink good. things too much oh it sounds real good darren i like that version <laughs> <laughs> if it feels uh, right you just go with it uh i think it's something presents itself yeah and i go i do okay. it yeah. And I don't even know how come that happens because yeah. I'm very good at procrastinating and making <laughs> decisions. So how that side of my nature works with the one that jumps into doing things without thinking, I, yeah. I don't know. So it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful collaboration between the yin and the yang. <laughs> the yin and the yang. It's yeah. a harmony. Yeah, yeah. Mind you, some of the outcomes are not so crash hot, but <laughs> look. I think life is as we make of it, you know, as we yep. take it. And it's about, a, what is it? There's a there's a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Yeah, I love that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Yep. I've got it somewhere sitting in the back yep. of me here. I think that's another thing for me. It's books, reading a lot of stuff. And, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well done. Well, you know, you've, you've done a hell of a lot. You've accomplished so much. It's just incredible. Well done. You know what? I don't really think so. I don't see it that way. I really don't. I think, geez, I should have done better. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, I was good at doing things, but I wasn't good at making money. <laughs> yeah, but sometimes when you're in the creative outlet, it's not really about the money. It's about the, the journey and the creative expression. You got it. You got yeah. it. Yes, it is. Yes, it's not about money. I don't, uh, I'm not good at that. My yeah. mother used to do things like that. She'd hold her fingers out. And go see you and money. You go like that. All the all the money goes between your fingers. Yeah, you know? I love it. And, uh, mind you, I had an interesting mother. Maybe that helped. Okay. Yeah, she wasn't a creative person. Oh, she was good at doing house stuff. Great yeah. cook, great homemaker, yeah. and very inventive. You know, she'd come up with all these wonderful pearls and yeah. jewels. Well, there you go. So she was creative as well. She was innovative in yeah. her own way. I think so. Yeah, I think absolutely. So. Yeah. 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 So let's chat about your new book. Let's see your new book. For, for you got a copy there? My Look baby. at that. Sometimes the music. My baby. And the wonderful photo. <laughs> and a certain genius photographer called <laughs> And also there's some fantastic photos inside the back cover. Yeah, look at that. Inside the back which the same genius person called Darren Shaw <laughs> did the collage for me. And I'm thrilled to bits with it and some with my mum. Oh, um, it's, it's, um, I'll just finish reading it again. I don't know why, but I did. Oh, wow. I quite enjoyed it, actually. Oh, I'm looking forward to reading it myself. It's a weird, it's a weird feeling, though. Yeah. To sit there and read my book in my hand as if yep. I'm somebody else's book. Wow. It's the strangest feeling. And then I go, my God, did I do this? And my God, did I survive the, the, the lunacies of this bloke in my life? Yeah, wow. How could I survive it? I nearly fell to pieces, you know, and, and, and how did I escape some of the 
insanities. And then the people that I met, the people in the jazz world. Wow. Extraordinary. I think I was more in awe of the people. Yep. Oh, you would have met some amazing people. But before we get into that, I just want to kind of ask you, why did you write the book in the first place? What was the motivation behind writing the book? Question. Initially, way back, back when I got together with Serge, he was such an amazing person. If you think I've done a lot, ye gods, you know. Um, and I decided when we first got together and he moved in with me, and I nearly, you know, had a nervous breakdown. But <laughs> Um, he was so interesting and his background was so interesting that I was starting to write a book about him and right. I was going to call it Night in Rusty Armour because yeah. he did have rusty hinges. <laughs> he but, you know. And so I sat down with him every night after dinner and started writing out his life and it yeah. was phenomenal because he was born in Shanghai. And then I had about 80 written pages and I stuck it away in a corner somewhere and I forgot about it. And then some a few years ago, I know who it was. It was an I went to an author talk. Right. And I'd just finished putting together a sexy novel that I'd written. <laughs> and, and I it was Arnold Zabel. And I said to him, I'm in the middle of writing a sexy novel, but I've because I put aside my memoir about my alcoholic jazz musician. He said, Go for that. Forget wow. your sexy novel. Everybody's doing that. This has got more juice. Oh, so yeah. I thought, okay, I'll take his advice, put it aside and went on with it. And then it sort of ran away from me. I just kept writing. The worst of it is, is the editing. That, could, yes. that took me longer than the writing of it. And the, the book took about five years to write, is that right? Well, well, the whole process was five years. Yeah, the, the beginning of it didn't take as long. I wrote yeah. down things and yeah. I put it in and then the memories dropped in and then my emotional status got wound up with it yeah. because by this time he died. And I put that in as well, you know, because wow. I, I, he's the first, the only person I ever saw, I found him dead, you know, wow. apartment. so, um, and there were so many interesting people in the jazz world in Australia that I worked in after that, and, and then how I got into the laughter work, so it just, the book sort of pulled it out of me, actually. Yeah. Was there, was there some kind of a, a link between... Like the, the the laughter work and and that um, time of your life, or how did that happen? It Absolutely, so it was it was almost like your therapy. Well, actually, yeah, because in the process of my life with him, I lost it. It was really difficult. He was yep. very hard going. I mean, he was known as the enfant terrible of jazz, and he was a really really difficult character. Right. And I got to the point that I was just losing it. Yep. I was getting panic attacks. And, oh, my God. And, and the day that I realised, in fact, I wrote about it in the book, that I lost my laughter. People were doing a joke and everybody sitting around the table laughing and I just opened my mouth. Uh. And the only thing that came out of me were tears. Oh, man. Yeah. I had to run out outside the room and cry because I didn't want people, I was so embarrassed. Oh, man. And that's when I realised I've lost it. And it took a lot of therapy, a lot of seminars, a lot of, New age gobbledygooks, you yeah. know, all that, you know. But it all worked. It all sort of pulled me back into, you know. And then one day I thought, wait a minute, isn't it great to do therapy? You clean up all the messes of your life, but wouldn't it be wonderful if there was a way to find, a way to be happy, to find your joy, to find your happiness, yeah. to find laughter? And yeah. I thought, laughter, woo! 
I've done drama. I used to teach drama to kids. I had teenage drama group. And so I had all the basics of conducting activities that were fun. So I used those as the beginning. And then I went to America and did a laughter therapy training and did a whole lot of other training and research. And, you know, laughter training, yeah, the laughter took a lot of, but I loved it. I finally found out what I want to do when I grow up, you know. (laughs) And and I did a laughter session for a Provost group last week. Wow. Yeah, I'm not that keen on doing them anymore. I'm laughing out, you know. I I just laugh, you know. We just (laughs) laugh at life, you know. you rather laugh at home and... Yeah, comfort share, of your own home. Yeah, or share a laugh with friends. Or share a laugh with friends. Or, I like that. Yeah. Or the imbecilities of today's world, you know, yeah. and yeah. And, uh, and humanity and COVID and the whole shebang. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. we, look, if we can't laugh at life, what have we got? Oh, 100%. 100%. 100%. And, so. and did you bring, did you make your book quite humorous as well? It, was, it goes through the full gamut of emotion? Yes, it does. There's a lot of emotion in it. And most of all, because we've got to be careful with laughter. I hate being mean to people because laughter can get... Most of the time I laugh at myself. I mean, I keep questioning my sanity, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And so I found moments in it that are funny, the the ironies of it, you know, either me being an idiot or the ironies of life or or people and the strange behaviours. I mean, we are strange creatures, let's face oh, it. Oh, we are definitely are, my yeah. God. So I found all that. I found the strangeness of, I mean, to me, the best comedians are the ones who create humour around the, the, yep. the funny stuff. My favourite comedian, my super favourite comedian is now, is Michael McIntyre. Yeah, he's fantastic. He, is. he really is fantastic. Oh, I'm in awe of him. I just yeah. love him. He's very good. In fact, sometimes when I need to have a good laugh or lighten up, I just replay one of his podcasts yeah. or, you know. Yeah. He, or his videos. He, yeah, excellent. yeah. So, so to me, it's really, and, and I think, to think that living with Serge and, and eventually not living with Serge, just being in a relationship with Serge and not having that laughter happen, yeah. And going through the opposite, I cried. I think I cried. I cried oceans. Wow, I was still good at crying. I still cry the drop of yeah, a hat. Yeah. I mean, last week I was just talking about tradies and not finding <laughs> tradies. And there was one day last week that I was absolutely overwhelmed by tradies letting me down, tradie let coming late. Some guy on my roof doing, I hoped I was, he wasn't going to kill himself up there. <laughs> and in the end, it was just all too much and I started bawling. Yeah. And luckily my cleaning lady sort of gave me a neck massage, made me a sandwich and a cup of tea and calmed me down, you know. <laughs> so, so, you know, so to me it's all of it. I think yeah. we have to taste everything of life. Yeah, so true, so true. Yeah. And maybe, maybe for everyone, I'd love everybody to learn a little bit more about the story of the content of the book so maybe tell us a bit more about who Serge was and what what did he accomplish from a musical point of view because he was pretty prominent yeah the content of the book covers initially I was writing just about mostly about him which it still is because he was born in Shanghai his father was a very famous band leader there during or something and he did recordings and because Shanghai in those days was the Paris of the East so right? it's got a lot of juice history. A lot of uh, I've got a lot of Russian friends from Shanghai. That's right. 
they called them, they call them white Russians, no? From yeah, Shanghai. yeah, yeah. And which is funny because my father was a red Russian, from, a red Russian from Russia, you know. <laughs> so, right. um, and my mother kept saying, Oh, God, them right Russians, you know, they're very much <laughs> Cossacks and all of this. Is so, Serge's background, he was born in Shanghai, actually. Right. And then I think he's because his father was a famous musician, they ran away from the, they left the, they left China when the Japanese invasion came in. Oh, wow. And uh, so he got here when he was a little boy. He was seven, around the same time as we came to Australia. Right. And, um, and he, I think he learned trumpet when he was a kid. Oh. But he eventually, and, and his father, who was very, you know, hustling, got him into the Mouseketeers, I think, on television. And so ultimately he was a jazz musician. Serge was the most brilliant musician, one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. And before I met him, he'd recorded, he was known in Australia as number one, the Alphonse Terrible Jazz, because he was a handful. Wow. The other one is that he was the innovator of free jazz in Australia. Is that right? Wow, that's huge. Free Carter. Huge. was produced by a guy who's now in, oh no, he died a couple of years ago in America. And so he produced, and I produced a couple of his albums. He was the most, a very innovative player and a wow. brilliant jazz musician and an innovator. And I think he ultimately had 28 albums. Ooh. And I, re- I produced two or three of them. One of them that I did ended up, the one that I'm very proud of, and I wrote about that, I did a whole chapter on it, was the an album called Jungle Juice that we did up in Karanda in the rainforest. Lovely. And he got nominated for an ARIA award. Wow. Uh, yeah, and the other album that he did was another chapter I did in the book was with a singer called Marie Montgomery, who's a very, very dear friend of mine now. She's wow. amazing. And they did an album. He did all the arrangements. And she rang, sang three of my songs on that. Oh, wow. And uh, they... Um, that they've got nominated for an ARIA award as well. So, and I wrote about that. Marie and I reminisce about our not our dress up night at the ARIA awards. It's quite funny. That's the funny <laughs> bit that we thought it was like you know Hollywood Oscars night. Yeah. And Marie's there in this slinky glitter dress, and I'm there in this great big puffy long thing, and we look like a couple of idiots. And all the other wives and women were wearing rubbish, you know. And so. <laughs> Um, so Serge was an amazing musician, composer, and unfortunately, and he also was a karate expert. He had a, oh. he had about a, I think it was a third or fourth Dan Black belt in karate. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. So he was, you know, known even for breaking pianos. <laughs> and, oh, no. um, so he was an, and, and the compo- the compositions he did were extraordinary. I think one of my my attractions to him was his music. Right. I think he was a genius. I really believe he was a genius. How did you actually meet Serge? Where did you meet him? That's in the book. Ah. <laughs> I met him outside a recording studio. Okay. I'd been doing a radio program, which we were recording all night. We'd be sitting in there doing this recording yep. session. And the owner of the studio was had Serge coming in doing other things. Uh-huh. Just as we left one morning, come down the street... And we came down the stairs of the studio. I was dead tired. And all I wanted to do was go home and sleep. And Ko, the owner of the studio, goes, oh, he comes, Serge, you've got to meet him. And I thought, oh, no, I don't want to meet this. I don't give a shit who he is. I'm oh, sorry. You know, <laughs> I don't want to meet him. And then I did. 
And then he rang me up because I had a theatrical agency at the time and I promoted a lot of artists. Mm -hmm. So he rang me up to put his musician on some concert stage or something. And then he asked me out to have Yamcha lunch. And I'm going, what on earth is Yamcha? (laughs) And I don't know how we sort of fell into this silly relationship within a very short time. It just just happened naturally, organically. He was the most fantastic. He was the most fascinating person. I must very intelligent. Sounds like it. Very thinking, and a terrible alcoholic and an awful, awful behaviour patterns. Oh and he God. just came out of a two-year mental breakdown. Oh no! He was quite loony beads, utterly nuts. Wow! You know, and how I stayed in there is beyond me. How I'm still sitting here in this lovely st- same condition. Yeah. I don't understand at all. Well, that's that's a, a question then. Maybe give us some insight. And how did you, where, what did you find in yourself to, you know, allow you to just get through it? Resilience. And I think that's part of the strength of my book that I want to reach other women who are in relationships with extremely difficult men and the alcoholism. Mm-hmm. Because he was a terrible alcoholic and at drugs. Um, his drugs were, were pills, you know, valves oh, yeah, and, yeah. and all that's nothing. That's what ultimately killed him anyway. But to deal with, and I had no idea, you know, alcoholism, what's that? Yeah. You know, I wasn't subjected to it at all. And to deal with someone, because he was a big bloke, so he could ingest loads and loads of, he could drink a bottle of vodka in one shift, you know, boom, Ooh. on the hatch. Oh, and, and, and he was a sort of a, he wasn't a funny drunk. He was a horrible drunk, you know. And then he'd dry out and then yeah. he'd clean himself up and get all sober and get on to doing. He did a lot of things. He organised. And that's what it, that's what went wrong with me and him. He dragged me into his incredibly unbelievable projects, which is what I wrote the book about, the, the, the projects. The first one was a Paddington Jazz Festival we did at Paddington Town Hall. Wow. And which was great, except I was left with the debt collectors on my doorstep. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, and so, another, so you you guys organised that? You put that together, did you? We did put it together. It was his idea to start with, and he dragged me into the darn thing. Uh-huh. And we got the best of Australian jazz musicians and some of the uh, visiting ones and all that. And the next project we did was there was an American musician called George Cables, who's quite well known in the jazz world. And he was coming to Australia, so searching, let's grab him and do a tour. So that is, I wrote about that too. (laughs) And Dizzy Gillespie, and you met Dizzy Gillespie. Well, Dizzy, I did it. I actually organised it. When I found out that Dizzy was coming to Australia to do a concert tour, I thought, well, if you don't try something, it doesn't happen, does it? No. So I got on the phone. I rang up the Musicians Union and I was saying, I believe that you've got to have an Australian band. At that time, the rule was that for every overseas musicians or entertainers, we had to have an Australian content. Uh-huh. So I said, well, I can give you the Australian content as a support band. Wow. And then it was just, you know, it's like, I'm not, I don't know if you do that in your business. You start with a phone com- contact and you just keep chasing it. Yeah. Somebody recommends this and that. And I ended up talking to, I forget who it was, that was the management of Dizzy Gillespie tour. And the next thing I know, I'm going, well, do you think I've got the perfect support band? Unbelievable. And so we got Dizzy Gillespie at the entertainment centre and at the basement. 
I did the same with Bradford Masalis. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, when Bradford came to Australia with Sting, Oof. Um, I found out about it and I went, I've got to get a search in there. So, um, so what I did, I ended up talking to Bradford when they were staying at the Siebel townhouse. And I said, listen, I believe you you want to play some, you want to have some jam sessions with some Aussie musos. He said, yeah, I do. I said, well, look, I got the best, blah, blah, blah. And I rang the basement up and got the venue and got the other guys and, and searched it. It's not going to happen. He's not going to want to play with me. He brought his own band. He's got the best jazz pianist in America. Come on. <laughs> you just go out there and do it, you know. And sure enough. Wow. up at the basement and off they went so they jammed together at the basement at the basement i wrote about that i, I wish that. i could have taken photos of that in oh. those days we didn't have iphones and stuff that's right and i just i just missed i missed that opportunity but and branford was a, a fabulous guy he really oh, was yeah. a sweetheart. and you should have heard the music that came out of those oh, i would love to hear that wow. yeah totally improvised they just met each other i introduced them Sergio Malt, this Branford Masalas, this is and, and Branford walked in and he said, I heard about you, man. He must have <laughs> found out about Serge through the grapevine of the Musos. They got on stage, no rehearsals, no nothing, sat down, played. Incredible. Magic, magic. And the next time Branford came to Australia, he got in touch with Serge and things went very ass up. Oh, is that right? Well, see, Serge had a way of doing things and and as you know, because I know you do things properly, I fancy to do things properly. Search had a way of doing things spontaneously. Yeah, just and was, so, that's his that's his creative way. Yeah, but spontaneity is terrific in its place. But if you run away from it, like we weren't supposed to do media because Branford was on contract, right? And a jam session was not to be promoted it was just we'd make yeah. up phone calls and people turned up at the basement and it all happened when i did it yeah. and i never rang one media person at all Incredible. when he contacted search the next time he came to australia and i didn't want to do the career anymore search actually rang up a pr lady in the jazz world and it ended up with a you know something on radio and a little blurb in the paper oh, so and it all fell apart because of that manager heard of it they just pulled the plug oh. Serge was going off his rocker and i tried to i tried to fix it and i just couldn't yeah I just you know because because bradford would have lost his recording contract that's right you can't do that you can't do that so but that was Serge. And then, of course, that plummeted him back into the bottle again. And he went oh, back to another, yeah. another binge. He was famous for his outbursts. One of his outbursts, I wasn't there, was at the Wangaratta Jazz Festival. And he went out on stage drunk and abused the audience and the management and everybody <laughs> under the sun. Can you imagine? You're sitting there at a fabulous concert and the muso comes out drunk. Yeah. And he starts abusing the audience with the most. And Search was known for his incredible amount of expletives and the <laughs> F word profusely and the, F, F, the mother effer, you know, and the C. Oh and God. he was out there. Well, you know, that didn't go down too good either. Uh, so, how can you ignore not writing about those anecdotes? That's right. You know, to me, it was the, and the people I met. Like, um, I've written a whole chapter on 
one of the most amazing jazz guys. It was a, a fellow called Joe Lane. Okay, Joe Lane. Don't know him. You, you don't know. <clears throat> um, he was an, he was a singer more than any. Well, yeah, the jazz guys absolutely loved him, and he was a real. He looked like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> He dressed like that. He did it on purpose, you know. <laughs> and he and, and he was he was the most amazing character. And he was a sweetheart. Well, yeah, I got on well with I got on well with most of the guys. Did, uh, did did Serge ever do anything with James Morrison? Yes, yes, they did. Wow. They did. Yeah. Um, I believe a long time before I got on the scene, Serge was teaching James karate or something. <laughs> oh my God. And then when I think when they did Marie Montgomery's album, Woman of Mystery. So got James on the album, which which makes me feel great because she's got three of my songs on there. Wow. Edward Boy on there, which was my hit song. And oh the jazz version is stunning. I can imagine. And, and then she I, I wrote a sequel called Money Man. Yep. And so James Morrison's on that album. And <laughs> uh he's he's a sweet guy, he's no nonsense, you know, very straight, really Mr. Straight guy. Yeah. Apparently he loves hamburgers. Oh, really? I've seen him live once. It was the most incredible concert. He could play the trumpet with one hand and then something else in the other hand. He was just incredible. He could do drums. He could do bass. Yeah. He could yeah. play and yet, Serge used to, oh, God, he used to come out with it. He had a, he had a thing about James Morrison. He used, to, he used to send him up all the time. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I think it was a bit of a jealousy thing in there. You know, right. oh, he's so well-known and making so much money, you know. And... Uh, and he reckoned that, oh, he's not that good, you know. And all, there was a jealousy thing. It was right. unfounded. And yet he's a nice man. He's lovely. And I, I, I think I, because I had the agency, I yeah. had a, that's how I met Serge, because of my agency and all this stuff I did. And I think I had to, one little dealing with James Morrison. And he was a sweetie. He even forgot that I, I had to give him money. Oh. I went to give him some money for something he'd done for us. And he said, what's that for? And I'm going, that's your fee, James. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, very cool. Oh, he was a sweetheart, a quiet, gentle soul. Wow. And look wow, so, that's, so this is all in the book. Sounds like there's a big read. How many pages are we talking? Actually, the typing's a little bit on the small side, to be honest with you. <laughs> 326 pages. Wow. There's about 85,000 words, which is supposed to be average. Wow. I read it through again, because I keep looking for what's wrong in there. I didn't, yeah. I, this time I didn't find out one typo. It must be hard as a someone who's written the book, when you go and reread it, it must be hard to really enjoy it without tearing it apart. I did many times. And my yeah. publisher, you know, Evan from Chilento Publishing, who is, I have to give him a plug, that man is an absolute sure. angel. Um, he, he, the patience of my endless, I'll tell you one of the, this is awful. I don't know if I should even say it. <laughs> <laughs> but Serge uh, played with uh, Warren Daly in the, in the big band at one stage. Mm. And I put that in the book, that it was a good time during bad times, that he had a year's work as a musician. Yep. And it was all nice. And Darren, and, um, Warren, his wife was lovely, Karen Daly. She was Mrs. Australia at one point. Oh, wow. And I enjoyed that, that you know, that the wives and the camaraderies and that. And then after about a year, Serge, who couldn't last that long at the best of conditions, 
was carrying on about, you know, Warren's this and Warren's that. And and then I put it in the book. And then I'd ask Warren to do me a, a, an endorsement, which I never continued with it. And he said, oh, you've written about me. I said, yeah. He said, oh, can I have a look at it? And I made the mistake of sending him a couple of pages that I'd he did a wobbly, he did an utter wobbly on me. You can't put that in your book. And I'm going, but I didn't say anything. But you can't say that I convinced Serge to join the band. I don't do that. Well, but he did play. He said, musicians come to me. I don't convince them. They talk me. Oh, okay, fine, I'll change that. <laughs> um, but you can't say that. Um, I'm a lunatic and that I did a 15-minute drum solo. And I said, no, I didn't say it. <laughs> I said, that was Serge's excuse for wanting to leave the band. And one day he came home and he said, I've had it with him and his ego and, and the 15-minute drum solo. And Warren said, oh, no. I said, I didn't put it in. So I was using Serge's own words to try and get out of it. Exactly. And he said, yeah, but the musos are going to read your book and they're going to think that. I can't have it. And I said, oh, look. I just okay. Uh, politics, it. the politics. I redid it, sent it off to Dar uh, what's his name, Evan, Evan, and said, "Would you mind, you know, save myself more grief?" But that piece that I redid isn't as rich as what I'd done in the first one. And I thought, I'm not showing this to anyone else anymore. You know, that's right. At a certain point, you got to just say, "All right, that's it." Yeah, but the one person who did give me a lovely endorsement, and I did write about him in the book anyway was Jeff Kluke, who's a bass player in Melbourne. Who's, oh, wow. Oh, he's one of the best. And he did write me a lovely. So reasonable, sensible musicians, you know. But, you know, the entertainment business, you might have seen that. Yeah. It's egos, you know. I mean, I've had to deal with egos. Yeah. yeah as a, as right. a management agent, my God, you would have, you would have seen it all. Yeah, but you know something, at the end of the day, it's interesting how to manage egos because all you've got to do is pander to it. That's right. <laughs> you need to stroke it. Egos <laughs> <laughs> need to be stroked. What 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 skin is it of my nose if I say to someone, you're brilliant? Yeah. I wouldn't say it if they weren't anyway. I wouldn't. Yeah, that's right. I don't, I don't like to lie about stuff, but I might no. say things like, you're fantastic or wow. Terrific, great, well done, whatever. And they, yeah, right, I'm like, oh, good. So, you know, what's the, you know, I think uh, stuff, you know. Absolutely. But, but you so, know. Helene, in terms of the book, obviously, it's it'll be extremely um, an interesting story, entertaining at times, it'll be sad at times. Are there any messages you think it'll be, Lots. it'll give to, to people who read the book? Anything that you really wanted to share? I do a lot of messages about there. There is a lot. There's a lot. And I've, I've, um, I've actually, the other part of it is it's heavy going. Yeah. Is that I wrote about what I went through. Mm, the hard yeah. stuff. It's very. The pain, the crying, and the behaviours that I engaged in with Serge, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when I look back on that woman, I think, she nuts or what? <laughs> oh, wow. And, and I think, did I really dare write this about me? But you can't write that about anyone else yep. in a way. I had to be either me or someone else. Yeah, yeah. So for me, if I expose what I did or what I went through, well, I'm not going to sue me, am I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's right. But, um, yeah. 
but I had to put that in because otherwise it's wishy-washy. That's my advice to other people when you write a book. Be, if you're yeah. going to write a memoir, be honest about stuff. Yeah. I didn't want to paint myself as, you know, oh, and I goody two-shoes, you know. Yeah, yeah. I did some shitty things. My behaviour in this whole relation, that's, you know. But then I, when I, the, the, I find them more interesting. But I, but I wrote about when we came to Australia, my childhood yeah. in France, the war. Um, I wrote about how I got to ride Barefoot Boy and the impact it had on my life, which it did. Right, God. It was a massive hit. It was a huge hit. They still play it. Really? And again, it turned. Oh, I got I got a royalty check recently, all of the dollar sixty eight. Dollar sixty eight before tax. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I wrote about that, and then I wrote a lot because somebody said, "How can you just write about?" Because I dedicated the book to my beloved godson Alan, who yeah. was not a great fan of Surge, only because I suffered a lot. Yeah. And he yeah. knew that and he said, you know, that may cause you too much pain for me to have any thoughts for him, you know. Yeah, my yeah. mother was the same, actually. Yeah. But And I wrote a fair bit about my mother who has. So there's a lot of, yeah. And I wrote about the lessons that I learned as I went along, you know, that um, being inside that, you learn things. If you don't learn anything, what's the point? So true. I can, look, at the end of it, I wrote that... Uh, um, I don't know if I can. Um, That's all right. And how do you how do you feel now that that that, that journey is over? The book is written, it's published. How do you feel now? I, you know, funny you should ask me that. I'm a bit overwhelmed by it actually. Yep. Um, it's not the first book, but. It's the one that I put so much guts into it. Because my first book was Laugh Aerobics, about yeah. my life to work. And it was published by HarperCollins. And I didn't like what they did with it, so I never had that emotional input. But to hold that thing in my hand, you know. Yeah, it's, it's almost it's holding your whole history in your hand. It's quite amazing when you think about it. Yeah, and the hardest part of doing it was the damned editing. Yeah. I, I, I swear. First of all, I did a whole bunch of edits myself. Then I gave it to someone for an assessment and it cost a fair bit. Mm -hmm. And then I did everything she told me to do. I followed instructions because she was really, really good. And then after that, I'd send it off to another editor to go over. I have problems with punctuation marks and long sentences and all of that. <laughs> and then after that came back, I did some more. And then I had an, I had a final um, proofread and that brought up more yep. bits that weren't right. And then I went through it a few more times and I found, hang on, what's that? Oh, and then a friend of mine got into it. And she she actually edited and sent me, and I did it all. And then afterwards I realised that, hang on, English isn't a first language and there were oh, things no. that needed undoing. And after laboriously going through the whole book chapter by chapter, I had to redo that. Oh. And and then finally I had to find this has got to be my own voice this is a thing with authors you've got to be able to write your own stuff you don't write someone else's voice and so it's it's I learned a lot about writing in this book yeah and you've been writing many books <laughs> isn't that amazing well I was I, I oh I made it I mean the other book I've been working on was a you know after 50 shades of gray 
I thought, oh, I can write a funny, sexy novel, but I'll make it funny. Yeah. So I sat down and wrote a book called In Bed with Millie. Right. And, and that, oh, God, the, the editing on that. And then I've just come back to it a while ago and I thought, ah, I've got a lot of work to do here. There's a lot of slashing. <laughs> but at the moment, what I'm doing is I'm coming to the end of it is I've put together another little book on laughter. Oh, lovely. That's nice. Well, I thought we'd get it out in February because of COVID. Yeah. And again, you see, I threw it together, sent it off to, to Evan, the publishing place. He got his editor lady to have a go at it. She sent it back to me and I thought that's the end of it. And <laughs> I've just finished editing that again. and oh. I'm Because there are paragraphs there that looks like, uh, in fact, the memoir, my, sometimes the music, after I'd put the first, what we call the first draft together, which I didn't know it was the first draft, it was just a bunch of stuff. And I hadn't touched it for a few years. And then I thought, no, I'm getting on with it. I opened it up, started reading it. And I thought, who wrote this? Who wrote that? And what is it? <laughs> that was my first comment. I tell people that. I say, the first thing I said was, who wrote this shit? It was really <laughs> horrible. It was so bad, I can't tell you. Wow. The writing was atrocious. So it's been through Cinderella. You can call yeah. it Cinderella because, no, the ugly duckling, that's what it was. It was the ugly <laughs> duckling and then it grew up into a lovely swan. I think oh. I hope it's swan-like, I hope. Absolutely. I can I, only I... get feedback. I only hear it from people when they say, it should be on Amazon any minute. Awesome. Are you going to do an audio book version or just uh, the printed book? I'd love an audio version. I think we can talk about that. Yeah, we should. Uh... I'd love an audio version because um, I recorded bits in the process and played them back to me just to see the mistakes. Yeah. I thought, gee, that would transfer to... Actually, it would make a great movie. Yeah. And you know what? I just thought... You could have an audio version and have a little bit of the music in it if that's if that's allowed. I don't know what's allowed these days, but that might be I a good thing do, to do. I could put my own songs in it. Oh, you could put your own songs. That's what I've got. And Marie could okay her stuff as well, those yeah. three songs. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, in fact, she's in the middle of redoing, remastering one of her recordings. So we might be doing a project. Marie actually, um, she did the opening of the Beijing Olympics. Oh, really? Yeah, she's, she's a fabulous singer and a lovely, lovely person. Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, so... Well, Helene, that is sensational. But if the people want it, you mentioned it's out on Amazon. Is there any... What other, uh, How else can people find the book? Is there any other uh, channel? Uh, well, it's not there. I keep looking at it every day because my publisher guy said he put it up on Amazon about two weeks ago. But All he right. said it takes a while for them Maybe. To, to upload it or whatever they do. And then... Um, how else are we going to do it? Do you have your website? Will it be on your website? I suppose I'll have to. I'll have to work through that one. And then, yeah, so people can do print on print on demand. And then I will be organising a book launch. Good. Which, uh, I haven't organised yet. I'm hoping to get some jazz people playing there. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. So we're working on that. It's just that I'm slow. I get tired, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, and I think COVID's sort of slowed everybody down, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah probably. So, but now that we can do open venues. Um, definitely. Things are, definitely the numbers are increasing and there's much more you can do now. 
Yeah. That'd be lovely to do a book launch with some jazz and a few drinks and that'd be beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that should be good. So I think the best place will be people can get it on Amazon. They can go either e-books. I only read e-books now. Me too. I can't read, yeah, because it's easier. I had trouble reading this book. I actually read this. I just finished reading it. Can you believe I finally read my own book again? Finally, what a man. I read my book about for the, it was a different feeling. I'm sure. It's a completely different feeling to read your own book. Your own book. Own it's book. still phenomenal to sit down there with your own book in your hands and read your own life story and as if it was that. written by somebody else. Yeah, that was that was the trick, to look at it as if... Isn't and amazing? I think she's mad, this woman's nuts. <laughs> and the interesting thing there too is that, you know, we had Anzac Day yesterday mm-hmm. and because uh, I wrote quite a chunk about my laughter work right. and places right. that I went to. And there was a section there where I did a fair bit of work with the Vietnam vets. Oh, wow. And that wow, was that'd be fascinating. an opening, yeah. Uh, we went to somewhere near Canberra, Braidwood, wow. in retreat. And I learned a lot about what these guys went through. And I think Serge came with me a couple of times and yeah. he actually played for them oh. on an old piano. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've managed to squeeze all that in there. My God, and, this uh, will be one action-packed, full, rich drama. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. Maybe sometimes I think I've overdone it, you know, <laughs> because I haven't read a lot of people's memoirs. So Where the only one I read was uh, on I Don't Like Her Anymore, so I'm not going to mention her name. It <laughs> <laughs> was a brilliant memoir, but I don't like her politics. So fair enough, fair enough. Um, Where Well done. I'm very political these days, so I won't go into any of that because I'll get into too much trouble. You know? Awesome, awesome. Well, Helene, is- I just wanted to say thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you share your story. Um, I think this book will be sensational read. Oh, Darren. Uh, I would love to get a copy myself. Well, you have to because don't forget we have to, you know, that photos you took of me is just awesome. Oh, thank and you, the thank ones you. at the back there, I reckon they're going to be a legend that your photography. <laughs> I mean, you're the best photographer I've ever come across. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because thank you understand, you know, it's amazing. It's not just stand there and look nice, you know, or look shitty or look whatever. You get into the soul of the photo. Yeah, no, well, it was I very easy that. with you, Helene. It was very easy. Oh, it was it was a great uh, collaboration. Oh, look, you know, those back collages. You, What I love is the fact that you understood where I was going with it. You know, you knew. You knew, Actually, you knew better than I did. <laughs> I remember when we did those, I had to come with my mask and we were oh, putting oh, all yeah, those yeah, stuff together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was crazy like stuff. That. Yep. All the masks, oh, geez, we're not wearing them. Do you know I found five masks and five or six masks in my handbag the other day? Oh, my God. They were all stuffed in there, you know, the throwaway ones, you know. But uh, anyway, so look, it's all the progress. It's isn't all it? part progress. of it. And, uh, and one of the things I do tell people when they're telling me that I'm writing a memoir, and I go, for God's sake, don't write, I did, I went, it happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, the worst thing you can do in a memoir is I did, I went, it happened. Yeah. It's about telling a story, you know. I'm tr- I think what I try to do is make it a novel, like a story. Yep. It's real. It's true. I I actually changed a couple of names. Okay. Well, because there was just too much criminality involved. Yeah, I yeah. George's world was full of that. 
the drugs, the guns, the criminals, the, the weed stuff. So you can't mention names there, you know. I, I want to stay alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in other words, your advice to people writing a memoir would be write it, write your story, but make it entertaining and make it like a novel in a way. Yeah. But then again, I, I'm, yeah, look, memoirs are great to leave for families, you know. Mm -hmm. but, uh, not that, and, and, and I meet people who I'd love to write their stories. Not mm -hmm. that they've achieved, like, fame or anything. Like, my cleaning lady, she's Scottish, and I'd love to write a book about her. She's amazing. Like, she, she was a casino croupier. She had a drug thing, and she... She sort of went out with sheiks and what have you, you know, and I think, oh, God, I'd love to write about her or my friend Carol that I mentioned in the book. I mean, she was a belly dancing solicitor and she was married five times and, you know, and really? all those kids, she's gone. She's quite balmy, actually. But the thing is that the, the life, that it, it was just colourful. Yeah. And so, but some people, they just grew up, they got married, they had a family. They've got a nice home. They live, you know, they play whatever they go to. You know, what can you make of that? But I suppose that's where a good writer really tries to extract something out of it. You're not a whole novel. Not a whole <laughs> I mean, you know, um, I've seen pieces of things like that. Yeah, write a book. Write a, write a fiction. Yeah. And then, you know, people want to, and then you put in some parts of your own life. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Or, for instance, you probably meet a lot of people that you know that you do all this for. So you could put in a book and a half in there, you know. Oh, I tell you, I'm, 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 I think I need a ghostwriter. I need you to ghostwrite it for me. Oh, gee. <laughs> was it? Somebody asked me to do that, and I think, you know what I said to him? I said, I've got too much of an ego to do that. <laughs> I mean, you put all your blood and sweat in That's it. That's right. Yeah, that'd be strange. And then you've got someone else's name on it. My ego's, oh, come on, I've yeah. got the ego, that's, you know. Yeah, that's I mean, very strange, yeah. You know, I mean, I'm not going to give up who, Colleen Grover for someone, no way. <laughs> Fantastic. I think you're the greatest. Uh, I'll help you do a book. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, Helene. So. Well done. Helene Grover. <laughs> produced oh. by Helene Grover. Yeah, that's that's okay. As yeah, we can do. We can produce it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but Helene, thanks so much for coming on the show. You know, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you about you know so much more that I learned about what you put in that book that I didn't know before, which is oh, fantastic. You, I should have sent it to you, shouldn't yeah, I? Yeah, oh, no problem. I'm going to come pick up I'll my copy. A copy though, you, you, there's a copy earmark for you, so beautiful, don't worry. Beautiful. This was just. I wanted to get a copy to see. I don't know if he's going to chop back some of the things on the back because it's it's tiny writing. Mm. You see that? It's tiny. Ah, it looks good to me. I love the design he's done. He's stunning. That's great. And it's self-published. Don't forget, I didn't get yep. a master. Self-published. Well done. Which costs a lot of money. Yep. So for everybody out there, Sometime the Music <laughs> by Helene Grover. Fantastic book. And you should definitely check it out on Amazon. And on her website, probably soon to be launched um, yeah. with the links. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sure you'll thoroughly enjoy it.